Why don't we all start with uh, three simultaneous uh, deep breaths so we just all find a resonance and connection. So let's breathe in. One, two, three. Breathe in. Hold it. Capture a moment of gratitude and let it out. Two more times, the same thing. Breathe in. Highlight of the day, gratitude. And let it out. Last big breath in. And release. We come together as one, which is a greater truth than we all normally acknowledge. But we lean into that truth right now. We side with that reality, regardless of the sense of separation that our five senses often feel. And in that great truth, we let go of the natural and embrace a greater reality. And with that, we say thank you for this moment. Thank you for a moment of oneness of heart and mind as we enter into this teaching. All of the wonderful names of God, we pray and say amen. 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 Well, thank you. That was wonderful. Okay. Um, I'm going to be speaking a little bit on <clears throat> for on this presentation, and then we'll open it up for some discussion. Um, I'm assuming most of us have heard of the Enneagram, and it's usually what is called the psychological Enneagram, or the Enneagram of, of psychology. But uh, the, the myth is, is that there has been the Enneagram, the nine-pointed diagram, if you will, because Enea means nine in Greek, that has been around for millennia. It's an ancient teaching. And uh, one of the things, I'm not even sure if Troy remembers this, um, but in 2013, when I had a real spiritual experience that kind of launched me into this next phase of my life, um, <clears throat> sorry, it was two years later, Nope, nope, 2013. Yep, 2013. Recording in progress. And the, that night when I was trying to sleep, um, if you're familiar with what a kundalini experience was, I mean, that's what it was for me. It's I had a kundalini experience, and so it was really hard to sleep. A lot of energy just swirling around, really vortex. And I had, a, 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 there was, I heard a statement, I felt a nudge, saw an image. It was one of those hard to describe experiences. It was both outside of me, but also inside of me. And what it was is it said something like the Enneagram is the teaching of everything. And it is the primary teaching of the future. So um, I just remember that very strongly and have wondered how, I mean, I've been, te I teach the Enneagram of personality, but I rediscovered the Enneagram as taught by Gurdjieff uh, a couple of years ago and been thinking about it more. 
And then, as some of you guys know, I've really uh, become enamored with and studied very deeply process thought, process philosophy, particularly with Alfred Lord, Lord or sorry, Alfred North Whitehead, Whiteheadian process thought. And uh, this idea that process is actually being. Being is a becoming. Being is a verb. And anything that we think of as being is actually uh, enduring objects, if you will, of, of constant being, constant becoming. But everything processes through. And what is being processed, what is being uh, learned and garnered, is the very most transcendent layer is what we call God. God is desiring to experience God's self, um, and we are all God's uh, sense organs, if you will, in this process of becoming. And as you could say, uh, God learned about God's self and how to experience process, habits are picked up. Just like you and I would have habits, uh, you could say this macro layer has habits. And these habits we might think of as cosmic laws. They're, they're ways of this cosmic spiritual evolution that unfolds itself in volution, you know, a constant complexifying. And they follow certain patterns. And there's different ones. So like in a big machine, you've got different gears working and they all get the car going, but everything has its own job. So that's kind of like these cosmic laws. And so we're going to talk about the cosmic law of one, the cosmic law of three, and the law or way of seven. <clears throat> well, this is a sphere and it kind of symbolizes the cosmic law of one. Everything is always united inside itself. Everything that we see is a plurality, is diversity, but diversity maintained and protected inside a great greater unity. So we can think of a circle as the symbol of this always and everywhere true as unity, as a oneness. So we have one, okay? The next one is threes. And in the Enneagram, this is represented as a triangle. The three, and we're gonna see this in a couple of slides later, the three represent three different forces. Uh, one way I might think of this is uh, love is a flow. And love has a triune nature. And that triune nature is the law of three. So for anything to actually move towards something itself, but greater than itself, to transcend, to transform, to move forward in evolution, it always is going to follow the law of three. And what is the law of three? Law of three is there is an affirming force at the top, a denying force, and sometimes this is called uh, the negating force, and then there's a reconciling force. Affirming force, denying force, 
and a reconciling. And by the way, those of us who, who are counselors here or are thinking about doing counseling, I know we have quite a few of us that are in that business. Of course, you don't have to be in that business to, to take what I'm about to say. But um, I have found it to be totally true when I apply the law of three, the law of seven, and the law of one, um, that would, which are metaphysical and they're esoteric because they're not taught out there, but they're very generic, actually, so, so that you can intuit them. But you can use them with your clients. You'll see how it's true. All right. So affirming force is a force that is moving forward. Let's say it's, it's being affirmed in its direction. Uh, you know, the term inertia, objects at rest stay at rest, objects in mo motion stay in motion. And so you might have something that's affirming its motion, it's moving forward, and there's nothing stopping it, all right? But it will, you can say God or us or any kind of object would not have any evolution if it had no conflict. If there was nothing to deny its moving forwardness. So then you've got what's called the negating force or the denying force. And this creates kind of a perpendicular sort of uh, way to think about things. There's a conflict here. And so if you're working with somebody, a client, or if it's ourselves, we think that this is a problem I cannot get out of. Or if you're seeing a client, this is something that keeps coming up. There's a desire, but then there's a, a blockage. And the law of three would state that there's always, always, always a reconciling force. And it's usually hidden. It's a hidden force. And we have to learn how to midwife that hidden force. And the reconciling force will always be something that um, allows us to take the conflict and create something new that satisfies the conflict and it brings us to a new kind of uh, a higher order of thinking, a higher order of, of feeling. So for example, let's say you've got, and I'll give you just an example on the molecular level and then we'll, as we'll move on, we'll bring it to the human level because the whole point of this is to be able to apply it in our daily life. Um, but on the molecular level, let's say you have the affirming force of love is you have three atoms out there. You have uh, two hydrogen atoms and they're kind of, you know, these one hydrogen here, one hydrogen atom here and an oxygen atom floating around. And they're not um, connecting, you know, they're just out there. And then there is this sense and the law of one, the material, the material of the law of one, not the, the, the cosmic law, but there's a material called the law of one. Um, and one of the things that the material of the law of one states is that um, the original desire of God is that all things seek and become one. It's, it's embedded inside us. So back to our law of three. We have the affirming force and we've got these two hydrogen and one oxygen atoms and they're floating around over there. And then there's this force inside them to want to unite. Everything comes together. And this is the denying force. It's, what is it denying? It's denying that each atom 
is completely individual. Each atom maybe wants to be individual, but there's this denying force that's calling them together. Okay, it's calling them together. And then when they unite, boom, the reconciling force, what happens? That brings these three multiplicities, the multiplicity of three, we have the two hydrogen and one oxygen, and they become one water molecule. So we have the reconciling force is bringing all three of those together um, into a, a new singularity, and this new singularity is one, right? Um, and so we're going to discuss that a little bit more, but I'm just giving you the idea that we have a affirming, a denying or negating force, and a reconciling. Now, we also have seven. Um, <clears throat> we have outside of the nine, three, and six, we have one, two, and four, and five, seven, and nine. Now, you might think, well, that's six. <laughs> that's actually a six. But when you hit not when you hit number eight, and we're going to get to this, but when you hit to the position eight, and you're, we're completing position eight, and we go to position nine, that's actually the beginning of a new cycle. All right. So number seven, we're saying that there's a this is a hexagram. So hexagram means six, one, two, four, five, seven, and eight are. It's a hexagram. But, we're, but it's actually seven because we're moving to from eight to nine would create that, that seven. So that's why it's called the law of seven. It, it's a, the law of octaves. What do the inner lines mean? Well, that's the pathway. All right. So that's the actual flow of the energy. The nine, three, and six are, is the thrust. It's the motor of evolution. And then the one, two, four, five, seven, and eight is actually the pathway. Uh, and so you can almost see it as like um, so a ball gets started to roll from nine and it goes to one and it's picking up speed and then it gets to two, but then it starts to slow down and then it hits three and then it moves around faster to five and then it slows down and then it hits six and then it moves on up to seven, eight. So you can see that the, the nine, three, and six are the motor, the forces that keep this thing going, but the actual pathway is the, um, the law of seven, okay? The one, four, the one, two, four, and the five, seven, eight. All right. Now, for those of us who might be familiar with the law of one material, um, the archetype of the transformation of mind, which is one of the big archetypes of consciousness, uh, notice the figure right here. Notice the figure right here. It, uh, the, the source of the Law of One states that um, this figure is an elemental and it's meant to, one of the reasons why it's depicted in this image is that it's meant to provide um, a challenge. All right, but notice where it's Positioned. It's positioned exactly at three. So in my, you can actually see that the law of three is implicit even in the teachings of the law of one material. Uh, for those of you who who understand the law of one material, 
Um, so this is something that is congruent with the law of one material, um, and it's being taught uh, implicitly here. All right. So <clears throat> the Enneagram of cosmic evolution. Well, at position nine, there is a calling. All right. God is calling. You could say that there's always this movement to transcend, and it's always there. But the seeker is asleep. Status quo, life is normal, you know, at rest. And yet God calls, and the seeker begins to feel a calling to seek something, to awaken to something. So by the way, though, I'll be presenting in this, this uh, particular presentation a, an evolution. So we're going to be seeing an evolution from a seeker who is not spiritual to one who has actually moved into their throat chakra. You're going to actually see that, the fifth chakra. But this can be applied to other areas of our life, and we'll talk a little bit about that too. At position one here in the corner, uh, the seeker responds. So position nine, God calls. At position one, the seeker says, yes, I hear you. Here I am, Lord. <laughs> uh, or this innate desire to seek something. Some of us, I know, um, weren't particularly faith, spiritual, but then there was this desire to seek something, something you couldn't say no to. I'll do it. At position two, the seeker calls God. And the seeker calls for God's aid. God responds in some way, and the seeker and God begin a dialogue. This is where you have, in the Christian tradition, for some of you who might uh, be familiar with this, we have some Christian pastors here, this, this idea of the purgative way. Uh, it's, it's a particular stage in spiritual development, purgative way. And the purgative way is the sense of um, who am I and who are you? It's not yet a sense of that we are all one, the, but it is the human intuition to feel that there is a transcendent reality bigger than me, God, but that God is somehow external. And that's a good thing. That's a good place to begin, you know. Um, so the seeker and God begin dialoguing and the seeker sets goals. Begins to learn about cosmic laws. Maybe, you know, maybe starting to learn about the nature of spiritual evolution at position two. And there's this sense of setting out on a path. Uh, feels faith. There's a feeling of faith. There's a feeling of hope. There's trust maybe making behavioral changes that was different when we were at nine. There's a sense of forward momentum. Okay, so I'm gonna just add, for example, here, if you're in, if you're counseling someone, if you're, if you're or doing a caregiving uh, relationship with a care seeker, for example, or a friend, at this position, you would recognize an, your, the person, your other person here as, um, really wanting to change, wanting to move in a different place. And here you start to set goals with them and they get excited. And maybe this stage might last one week, one day, it might last a month. You have this sense of momentum moving forward, hope, trust, uh, galvanizing the energy. This is to be affirmed. But here's the thing, always at position three, because remember, Affirming force, 
Denying force, okay. The denying force, which happens at position three, is experienced as a shock. A shock. And it's called the passive shock. Why is it called a passive shock? Because it, we receive some kind of catalyst from the external world. And it is and it's shocking, and it feels like something is done to me, done unto me by external forces. This happened to me. Somehow I feel like a, a victim. Uh, and, you know, I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember years and year, 20 years ago, there was uh, somebody who I was working with said they had decided to be faithful to their partner and they were really galvanized, you know, trying this out. Um, and then they went to a bar, um, but they'd always gone. And in that exact moment, uh, he got hit on by a few people that had never happened before, <laughs> you know, and he, and he came back and he was like, this, this happened to me. What is this? What, what's happening here? It was like this temptation that had never happened, but here it was. Um, but notice in our own lives, whenever we start to move forward uh, on something, we'll have a catalyst done unto, feels like it's done unto us. It's shock. And we are passive about it, like it's done unto us, to which we receive. All right? But the metaphysical process, the reason why it's happening, is that it helps us, it helps the seeker clarify goals in the face of conflict. It's kind of like, how badly do you want it? You know, um, so in the face of shock, the seeker calls for aid, and God often feels absent. This is sometimes called the dark night of the soul. There's a sense of where is God? I, I don't feel it like I did in, in position two. And the seeker feels, this is a Christian kind of term, but the, the, the seeker feels crucified upon their cross. Their cross of inability to uh, feel God's presence or the Creator's presence. And things don't make sense the way they did just prior to this catalyst. And so being naked upon the, their one's own crucifixion, powerless, naked, hurt, scared, confused, overwhelmed, and vulnerable. All right, so that, that is often the pattern. And uh, from the Law of One material, I'm just going to quote this. The source says, We may indicate that the ankh, which is the symbol right in the middle, is a part of the concept complexes of the archetypal mind. The circle indicating the magic of the spirit and the cross indicating that nature of manifestation, which may only be valued by the losing, that's that crucifixion, you see? Thus the ankh, or the cruz, the crux on sata, is intended to be seen as an image of the eternal, in and through manifestation and beyond manifestation, through the sacrifice and transformation of that which is manifest. The, so this would be the uh, archetype of the cross, archetype of the crucifixion, which symbolizes that any Anything that is manifested, when love becomes manifested, incarnated in any kind of way, 
there's always going to be a gaining through the losing. And that losing at the human level is received as a shock. But it's a part of the, it's part, of, you could call it the price to pay, the price to bear for manifestation, because that ushers in us to position four. Now, here's something very interesting. <clears throat> And, you, and it, you might see this in yourself. If you work with people, try to see it in your own practice and see how this might, might fit. But in the face of this kind of passive shock at position three, you will often have people who return back to the level of consciousness that it, they experienced at level nine. Okay, so you often feel this... Uh, returning back and so position four and they'll move from four to five to six all the way around but there won't be any transformation so in the face of shock uh path one moves forward and upward into green ray energy center heart chakra all right so this is path one as you can see on the diagram the seeker responds anyways even though the seeker is calling it at you know at the seeker calls, position four, God feels absent, and the seeker calls anyways. I'm sorry, the seeker responds anyways, and by choosing to not react in the usual way, the seeker chooses to trust that something good is happening, even if the seeker doesn't feel it. So this is where faith really, really comes in, is after a shock that's done unto us, even though we had momentum right prior to that, and then something is not making sense anymore, this is where the cosmic power of faith comes in because I'm going to trust that my intention is bearing fruit even though I don't feel that it's working anymore because of this shock. And if I call on to God, I don't feel a response. But I'm going to respond anyways as if God responded by choosing to not react in the usual way. Um, the other way to say this is the... Path two is the seeker moves on in the same level of consciousness that might have caused some of the problems. The seeker reacts to the catalyst in the, quote, usual way. And the journey will continue, but it will not be a path of transformation. Um, it'll be a transmission of the same consciousness that the seeker had at position nine. It will not be a journey of transformation. Okay, so I have to fix that slide, as you can see. Um, and oftentimes we see this with our clients and we see this with ourselves is people at position four, once they have the cosmic law, the shock, that denying force, that negating force, they, we don't respond in a creatively new way, a novel way. We, we end up repeating the same kind of, uh, ways that we've always done it there's no there's a transmission of energy it's not a transformation so it's a transmission say of the negativity and we stay within the same level of consciousness but if we choose path four to go up we move from if you're familiar with the chakra system we move from the lower chakras we start beginning to get into that heart activation okay 
The seeker chooses to move forward on the journey through the green ray center, the heart chakra, by allowing the catalyst to be as it is. It is what it is. The, the shock was painful. I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going to understand that it happened to me. I'm allowing it to be. And I'm accepting myself and others as they are. I may not condone behavior of others or my own behavior, but I'm going to accept that this is what is going on right now. And then step three of that, moving into the position four at the higher level, is I declare to continue, I desire, I'm declaring rather, I'm declaring, I desire to continue, and I have the faith that I'm supposed to keep going. <laughs> so the whole purpose of the, de of the denying force at position three, the passive shock, is for us to not feel the faith, not feel the closeness, and then to have to kick on and rely on faith. And we do that through a declaration. Even though I don't feel it, I desire to keep going because I think I'm supposed to. All right. So then we move into another fork in the road. And this might be true for you. might be true for some of our clients. You might have people who for a while are in the Green Race Center. But then um, when it comes to activating that love, activating that uh, experience of being on the cross and beginning to learn powerlessness, um, beginning to accept myself as I am and accept others and accept the situation as it is, maybe we're required to forgive the situation, not just accept it, but forgive it or forgive the person or forgive ourselves. And maybe that's not something that we can do at the moment. That's okay. Um, what will happen, though, is we will end up going down to five. We won't move up and keep going in a more transformational way, a more spiral-upped way. We will actually uh, go back down. And that's okay because we can repeat this as many times as we need to. So reading here, moving to position five, the seeker takes an active role by choosing to forgive the self and others, to learn how to seek balance within the self and with others. And that might include setting boundaries, to open the self up to more transformation, to desire more transformation. So that's position one if we were moving higher into the heart chakra. And at this level, the seeker feels God's presence and gains the perspective that, guess what? God was with the seeker all the time. So this whole idea of maybe you've read the, the poem, The Footprints. <laughs> Footprints is this poem that talked about uh, God was always walking with me. And then um, there were two sets of prints on the beach, me and God. And then when things got really hard, there were only one set of footprints. And the and then there were two sets of footprints later on. And the seeker says, God, whenever I had all these problems, um, why did you abandon me? You left me all alone. And God replies, no, I was the one that carried you. Those footprints are mine. So let's say at position five, at this more integrated level of the heart, that would be intuited. You would really get this sense of looking back at the passive shock 
the denying force that happened at three, you would look back in hindsight and say, aha, that's what happened. Now I'm understanding. Got it. But if we aren't able in that moment to have this opening of the heart, because it is something that is required at the heart level, if we can't open for some reason, then we will go to path two in that particular scenario, and that's the seeker was able to accept their situation on their crosses, but find themselves unable to forgive themselves, others, or seek balance. Um, so this is kind of a map to, to look at ourselves and, and our, the ones that we're caring for. All right. Doug? Yeah. And I think people at that spot often have to forgive God as well. Just saying Absolutely. Yep. God is a part of that. Thank you for bringing that. That's exactly right. Now, uh, you thought the shocks were done, but get ready. The, the next shock is harder. <laughs> this is called the active shock, and it's at position six. All right. This is the active shock. And what happens at position six is we are now going to it's active it's called the active shock because we are the ones that are going to be choosing this is not something that's done unto us as much as we now have to internalize an internal locus of control a sense of control within me and make a decision based sometimes on two or three different goods I could go that way that's good I could go that way it's good I could go that way that's good Usually there's going to be only one way that would have been very congruent with the path thus far. So you, but, but oftentimes, whenever you make a decision like this, it, it might even feel like you're going against the grain. Um, I remember in my own life, I made a choice to, to go to Nicaragua for, as a missionary for two years. Um, and when I made this decision... Uh, nobody supported me in my immediate family. They thought I was nuts. Well, they already knew I was nuts, but this was like a real nutty thing to do. <laughs> uh, when I had just been offered a nice, comfortable job as, as a, a leader in a particular home for uh, handicapped adults. But I made the decision to go to Nicaragua, not knowing where that would lead me. But it was something that I had to do. I felt like... It was, it was a decision between many goods, okay? So again, position six, I'm going to read this. The seeker is getting more settled into living at the wholehearted level in position five. And at position six, the seeker finds themselves in a life situation where there might be several seemingly good things to choose from. But choose they must. Unlike in position three, the passive shock where the seeker experienced something done to them, in position six, the seeker does something to the external world through action. Indeed, the seeker must incarnate their understanding of love into the world through embodied loving service. The metaphysical reason for the second shock, the active shock at position six, is to strengthen the seeker's will and faith in order to prepare them for what comes next. Teaching. Um, if you're familiar with the law of one material, there's this sense of being a learner teacher. Those who are students are called learn teachers. And then uh, teachers are teachers, teacher learners. 
you know, to teach, learn. So whenever um, part of this whole cosmic uh, processing is when you and I learn something at the heart level, it will not stay there unless we incarnate that knowledge that's inside us, is us now. If we don't incarnate in some form of loving service, we lose it. Okay? And there is actually a pretty good biblical reference for this. Um, <clears throat> some of you may not have heard this before. Um, so I'm going to ask a volunteer to read this. And if I get no volunteers, I'll do it myself. Um, go ahead and do it. I can't see anybody's hands. So, or Troy, maybe you can call on them if anybody does. I'll read it. Okay, great. Thank you. Parable of the Talents, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here. I've made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much and turn to the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has more will be given and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness and the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is so cool. Okay. You, thank you. That was beautifully read, Rudy. Appreciate that. Uh, <clears throat> it, it seems like a interesting parable here. Notice, though, that in the spiritual life, whatever you have, whatever knowledge, whatever gnosis, lived experiential reality, gnosis, at the heart level, whatever sense of 
uh, capacity to see how God has always been with us and whatever lessons we've learned. If we don't incarnate that and embody that in loving service in some fashion, those are our talents. If we don't do that, then we actually end up um, losing them. It's a cosmic law. It's called the law of responsibility. And that's not something we're going to go into on this one, but this would be a clear example from a biblical perspective. But those who are able to incarnate uh, that, incarnating the love that you know now as your experience, and you give somebody else a capacity, a catalyst for them to learn it inside themselves, that's like investing the talent. And then that is multiplied. And what is joy? Um, Joy is the sense of wholeness that has become incarnated and embodied and activated on this side of, of the veil. Wholeness, that joy, that feeling of joy is when we see wholeness where once there was more brokenness or separation and it's coming together. So that's why I come in into my master's house and receive the joy. Um, okay, now we're moving on. We're on position seven. All right. The seeker learns that God is always present. Seeker and God connect. So if you recall, um, the on the other side, so position two, you may not recall this. You have to look at the slides later. But position two is where uh, the seeker was seeing God as separate. Okay, that particular journey, that's called the purgative. And at, at position seven, which is horizontal on the circle, position seven, the seeker learns that God is always present. And in fact, there's a sense that the seeker and God are connected, never separated. And that's, an, that's a wisdom that can only truly be gained. It's a wisdom that is known as your lived experience, can only be truly gained at around position seven. So if you have that for yourself, then somewhere in your life, that's been your experience. So I'll read this. The dust from the active shock at point six is settled for the seeker at point seven. The seeker operates from a new foundational seat of consciousness, the heart chakra, the green ray center. All that the seeker understands of love, green ray energy, is now put into practice incarnated and embedded in space-time through action. Thus, the newly activated green ray seeker opens the blue ray, the throat chakra, and communicates, that's that part of that purview of that fifth chakra, communicates or incarnates embodiedly through the body, the love into loving service. This loving service may take the form of forgiving the self or another of doing some kind of restitution of some sort, or even setting assertive boundaries if we need to. Okay, um, but it's it's this capacity to uh, take what we know and put it out there, and the whole time we're doing this at the at the Blu-ray, it's not a feeling of I'm doing this for God. It's a feeling of God is doing this in and through me. There's there's the beginning stages of this unit of consciousness. As the Law of One material says that the throat chakra, the Blu-ray, would be the beginning uh, sense of this co-creatorship. That it's not a creator and the rest, it's 
co-creator and co-creator together, working in and through this, this panentheism, experiencing process. So your experience is God's experience as you. Yeah? All right. Now we're moving to position eight. And uh, position eight, let's see, I have to move this bar to the very top. Um, position eight says, I am in you and you are in me. That's the knowledge that's gained at position eight. In position eight, the seeker has stabilized their seat of conscious awareness within the Blu-ray center. Their yes means yes, and their no means no. Reference Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 37, or the law of one material, um, question or session 48, question 7. To others, the Blu-ray activated third density entity, or human, may seem both otherworldly and profoundly embodied in this world, both aloof maybe, but also incredibly present. When the teacher is ready, the student appears, and this is what occurs at position eight for the seeker. Others are drawn by circumstances to the one who embodies greater wholeness, like moths to a flame. There is a luminosity of wholeness that acts like spiritual gravity. Thus, seekers whose energy signature of seeking matches the luminosity of the teacher the means of matching teacher and student together arise serendipitously. I'll say that again. When the teacher's energy signature, the, the teacher's luminosity of wholeness, this light that shines, when that light is reached its plenum to a certain degree, and the desire, the magnet, magnetic longing and yearning of a seeker matches what can be given and received, say, received by the teacher. When that happens, this original desire that all entities seek and become one that we talked about at the very beginning is activated and brings these two together in what you and I would call uh, coincidence or serendipity. But it's all a part of this process of God... Um, you know, this great transcendent layer of moving forward and the manyness and coming together and the manyness and coming together always into greater wholenesses, greater complexity. And then the last slide is we have the seeker returning to position nine, which is itself a liminality. Okay. Um, it's a domain of both completion and an awaiting to begin again. At this point, the teacher is a teacher, but the teacher is about to be a student, and the process is going to begin again. So you can see that there's not a flat world cycle of spiritual growth. It's always a spiral upwards, and the capacity to move up in the spiral follows the law of three through the passive shock, something done unto us, and then the active shock, something that we choose. All right. So thank you very much. Um, I'm interested. I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but I am interested in hearing maybe some thoughts that you have. Um, hopefully I was somewhat understandable. <laughs>
Yeah. Okay. Uh, hello. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious um, how this relates to your like your personal enneagram. Um, so like, if you were a, you know primarily a four and an eight or something like that, what what uh what would that really mean? Mm hmm. Um. It is well. I, I think in two ways. One is that I think each one of the positions in the cosmic evolution Enneagram, the one that Gurdjieff taught, I think one can make a case for how uh, position, say, two is also a helper. I mean, I think that one can find that the personalities actually fit. But in terms of the actual path, um, I, I'll just tell you from my own perspective as a two, because I'm an Enneagram type two, maybe there was a sense of me wanting to help others because that's where that Enneagram type two comes from. You know, I want to help others, want to be of service. And so I'm feeling galvanized at position two. And then a shock happens to me at position three. Maybe I um, fall in love. And my desire, so that's something done unto me. And my desire of falling in love, let's say, uh, my tendency as a two, as a helper, without my self-knowledge, lends me to become very codependent at, at position three. Huh? And then if I don't work through that codependency and learn the different kinds of ways to um, stay in my heart, because if you've ever been in a relationship that's a codependency, there's a lot, there's, bellicosity can really kind of come up to the surface, you know. If I don't do that, then that would take me into four, five, six, seven, all the way around, but it wouldn't be a transformation of consciousness. It would just be a constant repetition, you know what I mean? Um, but if I got to where I saw in my relationship my own codependency and used that catalyst as a way to learn about myself and understand myself more um, and understand my partner more and decreasing judgment and all that stuff, then I move into the four, position four, you see? Uh, so I think each type would have their own hero's journey, if you will. That's just really what it is, is the hero's journey for each type. Good question. Is, is this what Gurdjieff called the fourth way, or is this something else? Uh, from my knowledge, I'm not a Gurdjieff expert. Um, Gurdjieff called, said the fourth way is we, we no longer need people to sign up in monasteries. Um, we no longer need people to become aesthetics. So like uh, receiving, receiving enlightenment through body piercings and, you know, body contortions that was done maybe more in the East. Um, and we no longer need people... I guess, becoming priests <laughs> um, in that kind of class. The fourth way is to see the world as your monastery. That okay. every this, moment, this yeah, every moment is a moment for enlightenment if you're using the catalyst correctly. And that's what the law of one material says too. So where does this come from? Uh, the, the fourth way? No, your, your material. Okay. Th this comes from uh, my synthesis work of 
the Enneagram of personality, the Enneagram, the Gurdjieff stuff, the law of one material. Um, it comes from counseling for 22 years. It comes from Jungian archetypes and psychology. So it's a synthesis project that I, that I think is faithful to uh, the different materials from which I'm synthesizing. It's a pathway that if for you who are working with relationships as a counselor or even a friend, I offer this as a map. You know, you can read over the slides again and maybe listen to the podcast again and see how it might be true in your life as well as true in someone that you're literally walking with on their journey. Yeah. We have time for maybe one more quick comment or question. Yeah, Doug, can I ask something? Sure. That's Pete. Hey, um, so this really is a map of a, a cycle or a journey of a soul in an incarnation. Is that what this is? Mm -hmm. uh, rather than putting some uh, souls in hierarchy. Yeah, exactly. More or less of all. It's just showing, you know, that, that there's a certain spiritual metabolism that happens, for lack of a better word. You know, you incarnate. And you, you're a uh, multidimensional, organic being of light. And as you uh, go through your journey, which is a, a perspective, really, what we experience is our perspective. And so this uh, gives a model of how the, the dynamics of how the perspective shifts. Not only that, but... Uh, for if you if one studies psychological techniques, for example, certain schools of psychology, without even knowing it, I don't think people are actually reading about the law of three and the law of seven and Gurdjieff's work. Right, right. They're actually producing, they're intuiting, they're they're uh, finding, you know, they're researching and finding it efficacious. These exact steps. Yeah. So it's it's a perennial kind of tradition that many spiritualities have taught overtly. Um, and I think right. we can find these teachings in all of the major world religions, as well as good counseling. Was this helpful or, or interesting to some of us? I hope so. Yeah. You're still here. <laughs> good. Okay. Well, I'm going to put it in the podcast and I will link it to our um, Building Forth Place, our Building Forth Discord uh, forum. And then for those of you who are not on the, our forum, if you're interested, I'm inviting any of you to be a part of our community, online community. And we're here every Tuesday at 8 uh, Central Standard Time. And next Tuesday, uh, our brother Michael, Michael um, is going to share with us his, was it a three-week or a month long? Three weeks on the ground. Three weeks in India. And he met, he sent me pictures of gurus. Um, there was one that you were standing on your head in the middle of, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your story. So please come back to hear our brother, his story and spiritual lessons from India. So that's really exciting. God, we thank you for your presence in this time. We have put on our, our uh, magical garments of the higher self. And we, we never take that off completely, but we thank the higher self for their presence today and, and all of the angelic helpers. And we uh, thank all who've come and we 
uh, go forth in the power and, and uh, peace of, of the infinite creator. Amen. Thank you, Brother Troy. God bless. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Thank you.